Good morning and happy Thursday. Thanks so much for tuning in to 90.9 CGSW. Um, my name is Marley Gillies. I'm the Vice President External here at the University of Calgary Students' Union. Welcome back to my show on all things SU advocacy. I'd like to take a moment to acknowledge the Treaty 7 region in southern Alberta that I am coming to you from today, uh, comprising of the Siksika, Pekani, and Kainai First Nations, as well as the Stony Nakoda and Wesley First Nations. The City of Calgary is also home to Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. If you missed it, last week I had three very special guests. I had three of the federal candidates for the Calgary Confederation riding. And you can consider this your friendly reminder to request a mail-in ballot if you'd like to vote by mail in this upcoming federal election. The deadline to do that is coming up quick, September 14th. Um, It is a very easy and a very safe way to vote. I just sent mine in this morning. But I'd like to switch gears here back to our regular programming of the Calgary Municipal Election. Um, This morning, I have two great candidates joining me, so you'll want to stay tuned in. Terry, thanks so much for joining me. First, I have the Ward 7 candidate, um, Terry Wong. Thank you for being here. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, Marley. How are you? I'm doing well as well. Very, very honored to have you on the show. Um, ward 7 is a really, really big ward. Uh, lots of post-secondary action going on. If you live around the city, of, uh, around the University of Calgary, pardon me, or in the area, you're probably in Ward 7. Um do you want to tell us a little bit about Ward 7 and sort of your connection to it? Sure. So Ward 7, as uh, most people understand, is 
all of the downtown core from East Village to the 14th Street Bridge, and of course everything north of the river from uh, Edwin Trail to Montgomery, right up to about 32nd Avenue there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a big a big ward, lots going on, um, and uh, we know that as you know, University of Calgary student representatives. Um, Having a good relationship with our Ward 7 City Councilor has been so crucial to our advocacy and making sure that students feel like they're represented on their City Council. Um, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, tell us a little bit about yourself, your professional background, and how you came to be a Ward 7 candidate. Sure. Yeah, it's really funny. When I um, walked through the Student Union building, I drove back about 40 years ago when I was <laughs> <laughs> on campus there. So it certainly brings times back, and then, of course, my my uh, my kids are also you know uh, um, graduates of UC as well, so nice. a lot of a lot of good memories. And today I live over in Hounslow Heights, Briar Hill, which is just kitty corner to uh, the McMahon Stadium. Right. And uh, you know I've got uh, I don't know how many university student tenants uh, in my in my place as well. So a great association <laughs> with you know the university and the students as well, and really do understand that. Um, and, and of course, you know, when it comes to talking about you know, Ward Seven, the University of Calgary, and the, the students as, itself, there's a lot of different things that uh, you know I've been able to say experience with both the university and the students. Mm-hmm. Predominantly, you know, the uh, the richness and the vib- you know, vibrancy of what you know the Ward Seven offers to the students, whether it be on campus, off campus, you know, within let's say yeah. a kilometer of the area. And certainly, I see a lot of the students coming down to the downtown core as well. Mm-hmm, um, of course, uh, yeah. In terms of you know my background. Um, currently, I'm the, uh, you know, uh, if I can say executive director of the Chinatown Business Improvement Area. Okay. And we ha- certainly have a, a large contingent of university students coming down, you know, for whether it be, you know, uh, dim sum bubble tea or, yep. uh, you know, a meal. <laughs> and again, it goes back, it goes back in generations. I remember my, again, even my uncle when uh, he went to uh, med school here back, you know, back in the mid 70s. And going down to the Golden Inn restaurant nice. and telling me stories about that as well. So <laughs> there's a lot of certainly a lot of, of uh, uh, residents in terms of again the uh, the, the students and you know, you know again uh, Chinatown. Mm-hmm. The other thing is of course I'm also the community association president in Hanson Heights, Briar Hill, awesome. and uh, again a lot of our, our uh, uh, residents and tenants, uh, sorry residents and owners have university student tenants in there. And uh, as a president, I often you know, get a lot of questions about how. How we can accommodate you know the students in there as well, and uh, For sure. I think we certainly do welcome you know the, the students in there. It creates a, a great um, appreciative diversity as well. You know, again, it's a community of um, about sixty-five years old, and certainly we have a lot of seniors in there. Yep. Uh, but again, they enjoy the vibrancy of you know uh, the uh, the students coming through, whether it be walking, cycling, even scootering through our neighborhoods. So mm-hmm. we're doing our best to uh, make you know Hounslow uh, Heights community for for our students just the same awesome yeah that's really really good to hear and i know similar trends happening all across the communities in ward 7 that students are being integrated the youth and like you mentioned coming to downtown or coming to campus a lot of what they they do and what they need exists in ward 7 so it's it's great to see um what did you study at u of c uh, first of all, my my background. I grew up in Vancouver. Okay, nice. so most of my most of my uh, academic was uh, again in uh, post secondary in Vancouver. But when I came uh, to Alberta, I was working in healthcare uh, hospitals for the first five okay. years, and then thirty years at the at the city. So a lot of what I did here was more of a uh, you know uh, continu- continuing education and mm-hmm. also uh, some executive uh, programs here. Awesome! Yeah, really, really great experience. That's uh, that's great. I guess what sort of push you to be a Ward 7 candidate? What was that, the motivation behind that? Yeah, I think the greatest motivation is 
For me, I've been in again in in Calgary for four years, and in that both in healthcare and uh, municipal yeah. services, uh, as well as within the community, uh, you know, both of uh, Chinatown and uh, Hollingsford. But I think what it really gets back down to is we're at a pinnacle in the uh, evolution of Calgary. If we can say, you know, coming out of a pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, dealing with you know a transition from a non-renewable uh, to a renewable energy technology uh, center. Uh, diversifying what we're doing relative to, for example, getting the film industry, arts and culture, uh, looking at a lot of uh, different uh, sort of industries. But the again, so with the precarious position of how do we you know, pivot? And that's yeah. the greatest question. How do we pivot so that the future of Calgary is, is one that not only builds on the basis of what we have, but also builds upon the future of, you know, uh, the, the future for for our young you know young students and young adults, mm-hmm. we certainly see a lot of the you know our graduates coming from our post secondary here University of Calgary particularly, um, looking to find those opportunities whether it be jobs or even perhaps uh, uh, um, some entre- entrepreneurial ventures. So the reason I've I've come in here is again help us through pivoting into the new future more than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. This year, uh, we're going to see minimum nine you know, councillors out of 15 being yeah. replaced <laughs> due to retirements or uh, people wanting to run for mayor. And as such, uh, you're going to have you know, minimum nine new councillor members. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you've ever run an organization, and I'll maybe put it in an analogy of a, of a Calgary Flames or, or a, a sure. you know, Dino's yeah. football team, you do not want to come in you know, into mid-season mid with a lot of rookies. Right. You know. If you really want to succeed, you need to have a blend of people who have the, the youth, the energy, the innovation, the, the vision, and the uh, dreams, but also, um, you know, again, the, the, the experience, the uh, insights, the you know, wisdoms mm-hmm. to make this happen. And again, going back with myself, 40 years at the city, and I'm uh, sorry, 30 years at the city, but 40 in Calgary, <clears throat> I think I do understand, you know, both the foundation as well as the uh, the evolution towards the future, and uh, that's you know that's uh, one of the fundamental reasons I'm here. Awesome, really good to hear, and absolutely a lot of experience that I think is is relevant and important. And I like how you mentioned that pivoting, um, and I think there's a real opportunity to do that with this incoming council that's mostly new councillors um, and a potentially new mayor as well. So. I think that's really exciting, and I think students are looking to this election to be an opportunity to have their voices heard during the election itself, but also afterwards that they you know, can go to their counselors or see that their counselors are, are representing them and sharing their voices on ma- issues that matter most to students. But I think sort of the start of that is being able to vote, first of all, obviously, and participate in the election and feel empowered to. Um, and a lot of uh, the advocacy that we've been doing over the past couple of months is on the Vote Anywhere um, issue with Elections Calgary and how they announced they weren't going to have those on our Calgary post-secondary campuses, obviously being a huge barrier to students to participate in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if you kept up with that, but uh, we were able to uh, ensure that Elections Calgary does have voting opportunities on campus. Although it won't be fully-fledged vote anywhere, students will be able to vote on campus regardless of which ward they live in. And, you know, we see that as a huge win for students. It's a huge accessibility barrier that is now gone. Um, and so we're hoping to engage with students and make them feel like this is a par- process that they want to participate in. Um, so with that, I mean, how have you engaged with students on your campaign? And what do you think is the most effective method to get students and the youth out to vote? Because we know that they don't traditionally do that at the numbers that we see on the average. So um, that's what's so important to us. And I would love to hear your insight on that. 
Yeah, so, so first off, let me congratulate you for all the work Thank that you. you've done. It you know, certainly was a challenge to uh, you know, get the Elections Calgary to, to come around and say, hey, you know, we need to reach out to uh, you know, engage the students uh, and get them to participate in democracy, which is a, mm-hmm, a fun- fundamental right of, of all can- uh, Canadians. And, and again, I congratulate you for, for all Thank the effort you. in doing that. Uh, you know, with regards to students, you're right, um, again, I've got you know a couple of students in in uh, in my residence right now. As mm-hmm. an example, we've you know they're part of my campaign uh, during the summertime. You know, uh, it was uh, I say um, both a, both an opportunity to get and learn learn about Calgary, but also get an opportunity to learn about what you know civic politics was all about and understanding that you know. Uh, the issues at the door are not necessarily the issues that they see, you know, on their social media f- platform. Mm-hmm. When you actually listen to people, you know, voice their yeah. concerns. What is about our party? What's keeping up in the middle of the night? It's enlightening for you know these these uh, students that I've got plus other volunteers uh, to say, hey, you know, you know, our world is not quite what your world is, but I'm glad to hear you know this is what it's all about. So yeah. um, it's all part of the you know the, the growing evolution of our you know society or our people and uh, an appreciation that. Uh, once again, uh, you know, the perspective of the young and the old, the perspective of, you know, people of, of um, uh, diversity, whether it yeah. be ethnic or whatever, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rich an enrichment of, of our lives. Right? Mm-hmm. And by doing that, then they can challenge themselves of saying, um, how, can, how can I be an advocate? How can I get out there and yeah. make a difference? And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's the thing that is, um, you know, you know how to say, very important not only to our campaign, but it's, I think it's very important to the civic campaign altogether. Yeah, we you know we want to ha- engage, involve, include, and and give the voice to you know again once again to to the young and the old as and uh, I'm a combination of both. So, in our campaign team and our campaign meetings, we often have that mix mixed crowd of people um, to share and and uh, strategize and get out there and make it happen. Yeah, that's great to hear. And I wanted to pick up on some of the issues that you mentioned. Or just that there's issues in general that students can identify with or care about, um, and it's sometimes not the ones you might expect. Um, and being in this position as vice president external now for my second term, I was able to sort of take inventory last year about what am I hearing from students? What do they care about? Especially in a year where we weren't physically on campus together, it was so important to go back to you know, the students and their voice so that I can bring that forward. And something that I heard overwhelmingly was about communities and how students can be a part of communities and how we can improve our communities so they don't just, you know, keep getting older and older. Um, So I actually spoke on the guidebook for greater communities when it was brought to city council. And I wanted to get your take and your stance on the guidebook for greater communities. And if it's, you know, something that you see beneficial or if there's sort of some factors that you maybe don't agree with and would potentially change. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I do recall you being at uh, the public oh, hearing. Nice. <laughs> I, I, I sat through three and a half days of listening to everything. It was so single. long, <laughs> so long. But I, I do congratulate you for your Thank voicing you. on that. Um, and you may know that I was the lead spokesperson for 31 communities, 100, mm-hmm. 135 speakers up there. And the, the principal uh, understanding with the guidebook is that it is a new way to take a look at you know urban planning at the city, where previously it was based on land use zoning, uh, parcel by parcel, and moving to a more uh, topology approach of saying, you know, uh, rather than that site by site, we'll take a look at a community and then within right. an entire community, what type of density intensification, what type of housing structure can mm-hmm. we do? We, you know, from our position, you know, we were supportive of the guidebook. 
We were supportive of intensification. We were in support of densification. We were supportive, you know, again, providing the, whether it be the transportation community amenities that go with that. The difficulty, though, is the, um, uh, if I can use the term, the way in which communities felt they were engaged mm-hmm. and the ramifications of that. And what I mean by that is that um, this process of uh, creating the guidebook was an evolution about, you know, two, two and a half years. And each evolution, each version became different, different, different. Right. And so if you engaged two years ago and kind of thought, okay, that was good enough, and then all of a sudden you came, you know, back last March, well, this is not what we talked about before, mm-hmm. right? Uh, then you ask yourself the question, you know, did we really engage people in meaningful dialogue to get to meaningful decisions, right? Right. And the second question is, the outcome of what was in the guidebook does it really reflect a combination of where we need to go from a future urban planning, transportation plan mm-hmm. perspective, but also at the same time recognizing that, you know, we've got 180 communities across the city. Each of them have distinctive characters, heritage, history, green space, you know, and, and um, I think most importantly, um, you know, your parents, your grandparents have bought in, invested, in, and, uh, you know, it's the enjoyment of the, in, in their investment that also needs to be taken into consideration and that, I think that's the, the fundamental thing that we were trying to push back and say, look, um, we need to respect those that, you know, have bought, invested, uh, improved their property, right. created communities, and uh, let's not, you know, take a blanket policy and make this happen. Mm-hmm. So, again, we do support the guidebook. We do support intensification. The one last step is let's just make sure that the communities are part of that dialogue and understand how they can contribute to that, uh, you know, urban form. Yeah, well, I really, really appreciate you saying that. And I have a couple things to pick up on. Firstly, at that council meeting, um, you know, as long as it was, I feel like a lot of what we were hearing was a lot of people saying the same things, you know, that they purchased their homes and they don't want their neighborhood to change, although it continues to age. Um, And I guess students are looking for sort of the opposite, you know, things to densify, to change, to grow, um, and to find more opportunities within the structures we already have rather than creating more. So I guess, how can we have both? Because I I totally see what the side, you know, that you're speaking on and how those homes are owned and, and worked on and valued. But how do we still encourage change at the same time? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and, and when we talk about, again, the change of the urban form, Calgary, Calgary is a community of close to 150 years old. Mm-hmm. And, and we often compare ourselves. We have a lot of um, advocates, I'll use the term, compare ourselves to you know, Scandinavian cities and say, you know, we should be like you know, Copenhagen or, or mm-hmm. you know, Stockholm or whatever the case may be. And again, you, you need to appreciate those. You know, those cities are you know centuries and centuries old, and right. and and uh, a lot of the infrastructure is built back in part of my language. But you know, yeah. the horse, the horse and carriage days, where you know, again, the the road construction, the, the width of the roads, and that sort are entirely different than our evolution of 150 years, where you know the motor vehicle was the predominant you know way of getting around and everything else as such. Having said that, though, you know, we're not uh, suggesting that we stay stagnant. Not at all. Mm-hmm. We're suggesting that yes, we do, we do need to improve on um, you know some of the existing building structures, replace some of the building structure, but let's let's make sure that we do it in a way that um, doesn't just, you know, distort or change the character of the community. Okay. Right? So uh, if you know if we got a seventy year old let's say a seventy year old uh, single family home, nine hundred square feet, somebody wants to say, you know buy the property, knock it down, and, and chances are that lot is a very large lot. 
If somebody right. wants to knock it down and build a fourplex on it, mm-hmm. we're not opposed to that, right? If somebody wants to, to uh, all of a sudden take two side by side, knock it down and build a, you know, a row house again, we're not opposed to that either. Mm. What we're saying though is let's you know be mindful of the community um, because again, back in 2010, the city created what we call the municipal development plan, mm-hmm. and uh, and of which I was a part of. And the fundamental thing that said there was. 50% of growth will be done in established communities mm-hmm. and 50% in, in um, uh, suburban areas. But speaking of the established communities, they also said that most of that growth should be centered on quarters, traffic mm-hmm. quarters, and on nodes such as you know, a shopping center or an LRT station and everything else. So if that was the you know, strategy taken in 2010, and here we are 2021, mm-hmm. the attitude now is, well, let's just build anything anywhere. And mm-hmm. and 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 um, uh, it gets back to the question of you know um, you know do we build it in that um, designed sort of way mm-hmm. or more that random let's just spill it on the ground and see where it all lands right mm-hmm. and I think that's that's the fundamental of what uh, um, if we if we really want to create great communities vibrant communities distinct communities right yeah. we, we need to be able to have some order or some strategy in how to get there. Yeah, and, and communities need to be a part of it. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, I've really valued this conversation and to get some more clarity on your stance with the guidebook and where students can, you know, slot themselves in or see where mm-hmm. they can participate and where they're a part of the plan and what their future looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, because if they're, you know, planning to stay in Calgary and planning to stay in Ward 7, we really want to see that path. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the things that uh, most of our, the students in of Calgary will also see um, in adjacent communities to the campus, whether it be yep. in Varsity, Bam Trail, uh, you know, uh, Hansard Heights, Briar Hills, University Heights, mm-hmm. that um, in my in my travels of door knocking, I do run across a lot of students who are renting you know, in, yep. in properties there. And I often ask the same questions is, yeah, if there's something you could change in this community, what would that be, mm-hmm. right? And, and the, the, um, these are the same sort of answers that the residents of the community are saying as well. Okay. And fundamentally, yeah, seriously. You know, number one, transportation. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the different modes of transportation, everybody wants a safe uh, corridor for transportation, whether you're walking, cycling, cycling, uh, scootering, or, yep. or driving a car. Everybody wants that, right? The second part of that is that they, they understand that from a transportation perspective, they have to share that sidewalk, that roadway with each other. Mm. And again, it gets back to the same question. How do we do that in a way that... Uh, it doesn't cause anybody to be fearful that oh, right. I'm walking a sidewalk and somebody's go, you know, scooting by me and knock <laughs> me over, right? So I think again, those are the common denominators on from a, a transportation perspective, from a housing perspective, same mm-hmm. sort of thing. Students don't want to be in housing that is, you know, how to say, managed by a, an absentee landlord. Mm. Doesn't want to be ma- you know, in a housing that, quite frankly, the landlord doesn't maintain it, maintain right. the safety uh, standards associated with it. Uh, you know, take care of the, uh, the the leaking faucets or whatever case. Yeah. You know, s- similarly, the <clears throat> the uh, the owners of the property want to maintain the quality of their property as well. So there's there's again like, another common denominator there. Mm-hmm. So having said that, if we can you know, get down to understanding the common denominators of what students and property owners want to see, yeah. Then the question is, how do we get them on the same page at the same okay. time with the same dialogue of right. University Heights? You know, this is. What a great community can be. How can we help each other yep. get there, and not look at it from a you're a landlord, I'm a tenant, I pay you, you, you know this third thing. No, yeah. How can we share the space together 
in a way that we're, we're all you know, happy and comfortable. Yeah, and I, I guess one thing to add to your point too about housing specifically and about student priorities just being priorities. Um, there's nothing that really is unique to students specifically. Um, for housing, for example, students are looking for affordable housing and a variety of housing options available to them and that's not necessarily specific to students. So as much as sort of my, that goes back to being my priority, like you mentioned, it's it's what you're hearing everywhere and that's really great to to see and to understand so that students can, you know, know that they're being heard and that they're being listened mm-hmm. to and I think that's really key. One of the things I wanted to go back to um before earlier when we were talking about the guidebook for greater communities and the process around that and you talked a lot about engagement and how um things developed and changed and i guess as a student leader that's what we like to see sort of engagement versus consultation i guess but uh, in terms of consultation whether it's the guidebook for greater communities or in the student leader world tuition and fees um you know we want our feedback to be reflected and to follow that into the change. So I guess maybe, you know, with the process that the guidebook went through, seeing it change to me and as a student leader felt like it developed and responded to what was hearing. What does consultation or engagement mean to you and what do you think a better process would look like? And as a potential city councillor, how would you participate in that with all of the stakeholders that, you know, want to get in your ear? Sure. No, that's a great, great, great question. So there's one thing I'd like to um, uh, reference, mm-hmm. and that's called the International Association of Public Participation, or IAP2. In the IAP2, there's a f- five-phase spectrum of public participation, and you know, so builds one upon the other. The very first is just to inform. So inform mm-hmm. being one-directional, I'm telling you what's going on. The second is a consult. So I'm informing you and asking for your opinion, mm-hmm. right? The third is not only am I doing that, but I'm also coordinating with you the activities associated you know, with that. Right. But in that, it's still, it's still uh, if I can use the term, one person that's sponsoring and driving it. Yeah. Right? But we're coordinating. The fourth level is actually a, a, um, co-sponsorship, and that's called collaboration. Mm-hmm. So I'm informing, consulting, coordinating, but now we're working together, right? Yeah. The last form of public participation is empowerment, mm-hmm. where I turn around and say, you know what? I may be the city, you know, city of Calgary, as an example. Right. And you may be you know, the student union, student union advocate for the University of Calgary. Yeah. Here's what we want to achieve. How would you like to go about doing it? Mm. Come back you know, three months later, but you handle the public engagement, right? Mm. But we trust yeah. each other right. that this is the outcome we're looking for and the process is handed over. That is That evolution or that sort of phasing of, of uh, public participation is the way, you know, uh, if I could say healthy communities should be built. Right. At the very least, it should be in a coordinated manner, ideally in a collaborative manner, and if you really you know, are, are vested and trusted, mm-hmm. get to the empowerment. Yeah. But if you, if you limit yourself to inform and, and consult, chances mm-hmm. are you don't get buy-in. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. I, I like that process, and I know the listeners can't see it, but jotting, jotting down those sort of steps... And I wish as a student leader that all my consultations went that way, (laughs) whether Mm -hmm. with, you know, the government of Alberta or the University of Calgary institution. I think that sort of really hits the mark as to we want to see our consultation valued, but also reflected in whatever the final product would be. Um, But obviously, that's quite an extensive process, takes a lot of time to develop, you know, that 
relationship that you were talking about. And as a Ward 7 counselor, like we mentioned, is huge, there's going to be a lot of competing noise. How do you decide, you know, what to listen to, who to take through this process, and at the end of the day, what voice to reflect? Because I know, you know, we're not going to be able to please everybody, but uh, what does that sort of decision-making look like to you? Yeah, so um, I'm going to backtrack a little bit, if you don't mind. Okay, no, of course. And and in the consultation process, right, Yeah. it is, if I can use the word, disingenuous to walk in at the start of the process and say, Here's my plan, option one, option two, what uh-huh. do you think? Uh-huh. Right? When I say it's disingenuous because you haven't given the, you know, the uh, person you're consulting with the opportunity to say, exactly, what problem are we trying to solve? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the opportunity we're trying to take care of? What is the, that's the outcome we're looking for? Yeah. You're presenting, you know, here, take this card, go with it. Mm-hmm. And yet you don't even know if that's what they want. Okay. Right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so again, in the in the consultation process, you always always have to start the question: mm. What's important to you? Yeah. What's keeping sure. you up in the middle of the night? And can we find a solution to get there? Yeah. Then present some options. That's so, great to hear. Uh, and that's uh, unfortunately this uh, part of some of the engagement we get now is really, you know, solution first, and then back backing up and say what well, you know where we're on target. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I missed the, the question. <laughs> that. No, that's okay. Just, I mean, com- all the competing noise and sort oh, of yes, what, how you. do you sift through that? Yeah. So, uh, relative to myself, and then it goes back to you know, my public service career as well as now my political career, mm-hmm. it's always about, number one, making sure everybody understands it's about doing the right things and doing it the right way. Okay. So, you know, back to Peter Drucker. The second thing is always about listen and learn before you lead, right? Mm-hmm. If you can get everybody to do that, then you can you know, um, filter out all the different competing noises mm-hmm. and understand the issues. Because at the end of the day, I could be sitting in a room with six people, yeah. but we're serving 6,000 people. Right. Right? For sure. And that's the thing is get the six people to you know, filter out. It's not about you. It's mm-hmm. about the 6,000. Yeah. Right? And if we could do that, then it's easy to, to come to that answer of what is that outcome? What are the deliverables? For What's sure. the strategy to get there? You know, what are the ingredients? Yeah, what a great message. I mean, listening and learning, and that's what, you know, as a student leader, I'd look for in my city councillor that I'd, you know, have that relationship with. But, uh, uh, oh my, I'm sorry, I totally lost track of time, and it goes by so quickly. But, Terry, I really appreciated you being on the show this morning and having a chance to sit down with you and hear about your candidacy. For the listeners, that was Terry Wong. He is a Ward 7 candidate in the upcoming municipal election. I know it's very loud out there. There's lots of election noise, um, but make sure you're staying informed. Um, all these, This episode and all the other ones are saved on cgsw.com, so um, you're welcome to go back and listen there. Terry, thank you so much for being on. I really enjoyed this conversation and best of luck on the campaign trail. Yeah, Marty, I appreciate that and congratulations on your second term as well. Thank you so much.
Welcome back. Thanks for that little music break and for staying tuned in. Um, if you missed it, I had Terry Wong on a few minutes ago. He is a Ward 7 candidate in the upcoming municipal election. Thank you for staying um, because I have another very special guest joining me. Courtney, it's an honor to have you here. I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you for joining me. No, I really appreciate you. Uh, give me the space to, to chat and talk. So. Yeah, no, it's perfect. Courtney is a Ward 8 candidate. Tell us a little bit about Ward 8. Uh, Ward 8 is, it's it's fascinating, yeah. um, partially just because it is so diverse when you look at all the different t- types of communities, neighborhoods, the the location between the Beltline all the way up to Mount Royal. Right. You know, it's it's one of my favorite places in the city, and I think that's why we're here, of course, because for me, I'm not from Calgary. Okay. I, I moved here about 16 years ago. Nice. And it, takes, it always takes a long time for people to find their home. Yeah. And uh, yeah, between Mount Royal and 17th, that's where I found it. So Awesome. Yeah. Wow. That's really great to hear. And I know the University of Calgary specifically isn't in Ward 8, but you do have lots of post-secondary action going on and uh, lots of students living in Ward 8. So mm-hmm. that's exciting to see. So if you're a student and you're not sure what ward you live in, definitely go check it out because you might see Courtney's name on your ballot when you go to vote. But um, I know you touched on it a little bit, but tell us about your background um, professionally and sort of where you came from and how you ended up here. Yeah, it's it's honestly, it's all connected anyway. So it's like, <laughs> personally, um, you know, for me, when you look at what I did educationally, mm-hmm. a lot of my focus when I was in university was on, well, 
systems of change. Right. It's like, how do you go about actually creating the change you want to in the world? And my particular focus ended up being in direct government policies. Okay. And then, of course, yeah. as any university professor will tell you, they'll like narrow it down even further. <laughs> uh, and it ended up actually focusing on mostly education policies okay. and how they impact, well, the city, people, yeah. and everyone's lives, right? Yeah. So that's how I ended up becoming a teacher is, nice. is that there was a natural transition that it was like an honest conversation. If you're if I'm going to sit here and look at these policies all day and talk about mm-hmm. how impactful they are. Yeah. At what point are you going to actually get involved in? Well, do it. Mm-hmm. So I became a teacher. Nice. And uh, <laughs> that's been one of the most life changing things for me. And, you know, it, it's brought me into so many different places. It's allowed me to advocate for anti-racism within the school board, right. within my classroom, diversify my curriculum. I can't. Yeah. It's given me so many opportunities, uh, which ended up bringing me actually to municipal politics. Nice. Um, because in my time doing that work for the school board, there was a natural conversation about when do we start having this conversation in the public in summer 2020. Mm-hmm. Well, we started having those serious conversations in the public, and I, I became one of the main voices as part of the organization to fund to fund which was really focused on anti-racism work within the city but also pairing it down to direct policies of change so after that there was just a one final step left to say well who's going to sit in sit in that seat at city council to yeah. keep the work going yeah so here i am wow <laughs> you're right it's all connected but that's that's great uh, an awesome background to be in a position like this i think having those roots in education um not biased at all but uh, no, <laughs> yeah, I think no, no being a student's <laughs> awesome and and being surrounded by students and living in the education world um post-secondary specifically i think um there's such an atmosphere here that we want to see our voices reflected um, in council. And so I think, you know, not being in Ward 8, but knowing that the relationship with your city councilor and a student leader or just being a student in general is so important. I guess what's it been like so far um, being a candidate and engaging with students um, or just anyone really on the campaign trail so far? really interesting when people are trying to figure out how to get their own voice heard. Yeah. And so, so many of my own students for a very long time have tried to pin me down politically just because you're a social studies teacher. They always yeah. want to know, they're like, where do you stand? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and always, always, it was a matter of never really telling them. Of course. Um, but then they found out because by nature, this campaign started for me back in February. And so I taught an entire semester okay. where I was playing defense every day. They're like, how's the campaign going? I'm like, I can't talk about it. <laughs> I was like, focus. I was like, crack open to page 73. <laughs> like, focus. But what's powerful about it is that the moment my semester ended is when I told them, I was like, hey, like, I'm not your teacher anymore. Mm-hmm. So if you want to get involved, now you can. Yeah. And all of a sudden, awesome. my one of my videos, my most recent video actually was produced by an ex-student who just graduated. He's going to UBC for wow. film. Uh, a bunch of my door knockers are ex-students <laughs> of mine who just really want to be involved here. And to be honest, it actually came all the way down to the policy level where a couple of my ex-students who are now actually here at U of C mm-hmm. that are at Mount Royal supported me in creating my platform. Wow. Right? And it's so important to actually be like, okay, like, hey, you know what you know, I know what I know. How do we come together to put it all yeah. into one document? Yeah. And it was a great experience. That's awesome. I mean, students can quite literally see what's reflected um, for them or by them, I guess, in, mm-hmm. in your platform. And I had a chance to look at your youth platform, um, of course, and a lot of it being relevant to post-secondary students and how they can see their issues being reflected. Um, and one of them, of course, being vote anywhere um, and having the chance to participate and vote and feel like that's a process that 
you know, they should and want to be uh, motivated to participate in. Um, And I know there's been lots of advocacy around it, and I appreciate your voice in all of that as well, when Elections Calgary decided not to have vote anywhere on post-secondary campuses and how that decision was, you know, just really unacceptable. Students need to have every opportunity to vote. So we're very pleased that they will um, as a result of that advocacy. And I noticed in your platform, you know, your commitment to ensure the return of vote anywhere going forward so that students in four years don't have to question whether or not they'll be able to cast their ballot. Um, And I love that. I guess, what does that mean to you? Barriers to, well, honestly, any, when you talk about access at all, Mm -hmm. barriers to democracy are just pointless. Yeah. Or I should actually rephrase, uh, the point is often to slow people down, right? It's, it's, we need to protect this, I don't know, industry, we need to protect democracy but in that protection often we exclude so many people mm-hmm. fundamentally for me when they talked about vote anywhere previously i was like oh it's perfect why not yeah give me one of good course. reason just one good reason <laughs> to, not. to not do it and i couldn't find it no, no one could, ever could really tell it to me outside of generally that it takes work yeah. and removing barriers will always take, take work, work but once you establish it then all of a sudden everybody more people not everybody more people have access to be a part of this system. And it's so important to me to make sure young people have access to people who have diverse accessibility needs, who no longer, or, you know, people who work. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that was always my fight. I would go to school nine to five and then work five to 10. And, <laughs> you know, when you're 19 years old trying to ask your boss for their, your legally mandated three hours off to vote when you <laughs> only have a five hour shift is like, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Right. So. No, that's great to hear. And it's such an important priority for us. And I just, yeah, would hate to see the VP external four years from now have to go through that same fight um, mm-hmm. because, yeah, students deserve every single opportunity to vote and reducing those barriers is key. I guess I, I'd like to know about your plan to do this. Like, it's it's such an important priority. But knowing that, you know, council is arm's length from Elections Calgary. Yeah. What does that look like and how do we make sure that happens? I think one great way is just having advocates start the process long before right. the election. Mm-hmm. And and I think truly some of the most simple aspects of a vote anywhere come from being able to have clear leadership and understanding what exactly the values behind our elections are. Yeah. And you're right. We are arm's length away from it, but there is a degree of pressure and honest conversation that we can have be once sure. we get to that degree of transparency necessary. Because like, again... Just give me one good reason why we're not doing it. <laughs> and I'm happy to be like, okay, let's let's talk about Look that. At that yeah. But instead it was just like, no, no, it's it was like, no, we'll do it. Like mm-hmm. it just took the pressure yeah. to, to get it done. And yeah. the whole one of the things about I think progress is that people often get complacent, mm. right? In this idea that they're like, hey, we moved forward. And that's what happened twenty seventeen, right? We got vote anywhere, we had it, it was ours, and then no one talked about it again. Yeah. Uh, because <laughs> we assumed <laughs> we got it. But what ends up happening is, of course, is that in our complacency, people will often move things forward and backwards. Right. So complacency is never an option of progress. You always kind of okay. keep, keep your finger on the pulse of, hey, we, we did this for a reason. Mm-hmm. You keep doing it. Yeah. And never forget why you started doing it. Yeah. And it's accessibility, right? So I, I really like that sort of note on progress and how to keep tabs on everything um, and not just assume it was a scary couple of months when we didn't have mm-hmm. vote anywhere or any voting opportunities for students physically on campus. So we're, we're happy to see that change and to that for that progress, I guess. Um, and all of it sort of leading back to making sure students feel empowered to participate. Mm-hmm. Um 
you know, and it starts young, I'm sure you know that as as a social studies teacher, but, you know, you're more likely to vote if you vote in your first election. So encouraging students to get to the polls is is what's most important and vote anywhere is the best tool for that. But do you think there's other tools that could do that as well? You know, targets for elections Calgary to meet to make sure that youth voter turnout is as high as, you know, the average, Mm -hmm. um, because that's not something that we're seeing. I measurable data is so important and mm. especially because within municipal politics we found ourselves well we boom and bust politically the same way that so many other things in Calgary do right like we, right. we'll get a high range of 64% of people voting which is sad because that's not actually that high mm. but like that is that's municipally that's an amazing turnout and then other years we'll get 33 34% mm. so setting measurable targets to actually determine is elections Calgary equitable right like are we providing information to people necessarily so that they participate in the vote because there's we can't control of course how people vote when people vote we don't have that kind of control but there are proxy impacts that are really easy to measure of course right if we have great information if we have accessible voting stations we should be able to do a year over year measurement Mm -hmm. that will just see a natural increase and with young people it's no different is it vote anywhere? Uh, I would love to see the stats. I don't have them on hand, but I would love to see 27 turnout, 2017 turnout versus, you know, 2021 or a year where they didn't have it. Right. Like that would be a fascinating yeah. kind of comparison just to be like, yeah. look, it works. Move on. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see this <laughs> yeah. year. like you mentioned 2017 having it and knowing that it works. Um, and now what this year looks like knowing that we don't have a fully fledged vote anywhere, but students will have an opportunity to vote. So it, it will be interesting to see. And like I mentioned earlier, I hope that going forward, it's something that students can count on. Um, my next question was about, you know, students being engaged in your campaign and in your platform. But as you mentioned, I mean, Got they're it. there from the start. <laughs> but I guess on the same note, what do you think? What are you hearing from students and post-secondary issues specifically? What do you think are the priorities right now? Yeah, it's one of the things that I hear the most is actually, well, that people don't see themselves in our city. When I talk to young people, they're like, yeah, like when we talk about reflecting ourselves in placemaking and city building and all the different processes that exist at at the Calgary level, uh, they don't see it here. So I find that they seek it out other places. Okay. So one of the things that I I honestly, it bothers me so much is that most of my students end up graduating and they don't even stay in Calgary. No. (laughs) Right? It's the one shrinking demographic we actually have in a wide range of age groups. Yeah. 20 to 25. Mm -hmm. Only one that gets smaller. And that's unacceptable. There's it just is. no way around it. It's unacceptable for the sustainability of our own post-secondary institutions. But when you look at the landscape of our city, how we're using transit, how people move, how we build our public spaces, if you alienate young people from these processes, you're alienating an entire generation of people who should be here and who should be enjoying these of spaces. Course. Yeah. But instead, they end up in other cities, which is pet peeve. <laughs> We're going to turn into policy solutions. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's the, I, I've seen the same trend here, like being on the inside and, and as a student leader, um, you know, trying to keep students here, keep them in their education and not pushing them. And sometimes as a student, it feels like every force is pushing us away, mm-hmm. whether it's the institution itself, the provincial government. And I think that's that's really sad to see. Um, and so we'd like to see that trend reverse. And, you know, I know it starts with 
the municipal government and you know what our transit accessibility looks like what our housing availability looks like our downtown yep. um and all of those things i guess yeah, what can you do here yeah <laughs> like it's something that if you're established in calgary there's so many options mm-hmm. but if you're not it's hard it's hard to find and we don't have we don't even like let people know very well what the events are and they're like it's a development of culture that needs to exist within calgary that is gonna it's gonna make people want to be here Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's as simple as what something looks like and i know it's a very it's it's very superficial to talk about the aesthetics of something but all of the science says that just aesthetic shifts in a landscape will actually draw people in first Mm. and then what you offer to them in those spaces is what will keep them there right right so these are just it's just piece by piece that's that's how we get it all done for sure yeah and i think a lot of what you mentioned students identify with or notice and see first and like you said sort of attracting them here and and keeping them here i guess as a city councillor i mean for ward eight having that whole beltline area is really key but what other role can you play in that because i know a lot of it is you know not even municipally government centered at all but what's sort of the the unique way that we can have an impact and, and change that perspective that students have of calgary uh, one of the things is you actually nailed it on the head with housing. And mm. when we talk about community building, I think that too often we actually think about uh, people. And okay. that's the best thing. You want to start with people. Right. But there's a there's a side conversation about, well, how do you get people to come together? It's yeah. not really even about just like, oh, we need an event. We need to hold people here. It's like, no, no, no. Let's get back down to the absolute basics of community building and people. And it's where are you going to live? And that's one of the things about municipal politics that is just stunning that people often neglect. Is right. That fundamentally, 90% of my job, I'm going to be looking at development applications. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be actually one of the many, one of the 14 votes that's going to determine yeah. how your communities are physically built, where, what opportunities you'll have to live there, how affordable it'll be by nature of the market, and to be honest, how affordably by, by nature of non-market housing and all the different things that we can create affordability in the city. If you allow people many opportunities to exist in a space where they're not going check to check, mm-hmm. all of a sudden right. they'll have an opportunity to actually live there. Mm-hmm. Not just exist in that space, but like live. Yeah. And that at the start is community right there because then go from that and then build on it, then create events, then build on it, create community centers and rec centers and all the amenities necessary. But yeah, I don't think anybody who's ever been struggling to put a roof over their head right. has ever really cared uh, right. about traffic. Yeah. But yeah. they really care about making sure they have food and they, they have a house. And that's surprisingly most, that's a lot of municipal governments have control over that work. Yeah, for sure. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And it's something that, you know, when taking a look at your platform, I noticed about, you know, your need or saying the need to reinvest in neighborhoods. Um, and I guess, you know, how do we do that firstly with a tight city budget already, um, but also with a downtown that needs sort of a lot of that attention and bringing that side of things back to life as well? A little bit of courage and a little bit of creativity, <laughs> right? Like there's no way, no way around it. Um, when, when you think about the downtown in particular, Calgary was a CEO city, you know, the executives mm-hmm. like we're going to go work downtown and then we're going to peace out to the, to the suburbs, right? Right. We're, we're going to hop on Deerfoot, drive for 30 minutes, and then stake out our claim in our own little paradise. Uh, but that's not that's not us anymore. And it hasn't been us for a long time. Mm-hmm. And there's been a sustained effort to maintain it. right? And I think that is part of the problem, is while the demographics of the city were shifting, our 
ideologies weren't. Right. Right. So our downtown ended up seeing all these buildings yeah. empty out because organizations, companies, businesses, they they're reading the landscape, I think, sometimes better than politicians. Yeah. Want, right. They're saying, oh, here's how it's shifting. We're moving. We're going to this place. We're downsizing. We don't need this office tower anymore. While city council sometimes is like, wait, take this subsidy. Will you will you come back? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they didn't. And every year, year over year, our vacancy rates have gotten higher. Yeah. Uh, so this year is the first time that I've ever seen a truly sustained effort to reimagine our downtown. Okay. To take a look at it. Yep. Where we say, how do we bring more people into this? You know, I think anyone who's ever been downtown after six o'clock understands that <laughs> it's just you got two streets to go to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everything else is empty. Yeah. And that's unacceptable in a modern city. It is. Right? So yeah. we we have a problem with housing. So all of a sudden we have a bunch of empty spaces. Mm-hmm. Let's fill them up. Yeah. Let's renovate. Let's change the dynamic of what our core is. And it's going to take some immediate spending for a very long-term return on that investment. Mm. For the rest of the ward, it's fascinating because we have to – well, this Calgary is roughly 200 kilometers square bigger than Toronto okay. with a third of the people. Right. So let's just call that what it is. Yeah. You know, we've gotten a little too big Crazy. considering what we have here and who mm-hmm. we have here. So by taking, and that's where that courage starts is by taking a firm stance on being like, hey, like we can't just keep expanding. No. We honestly have to put a pause on that type of development right. and redirect it into some communities that have existed and have been neglected for a long time. You mm-hmm. do that... Well, you got some amazing spaces where people can actually live in. So Yeah, that's really exciting stuff. And I think students are looking for that, yeah. that excitement, that activity and life where they can participate in, um, you know, work, have opportunities, study, and then also be active citizens. I think yeah. there's really a, a part in there. And I think and like all in the same place. Yeah, like exactly. Like you shouldn't have to travel across the city to get one experience yes. and then go to the other side of the city to get another. <laughs> you should be able to do it within... A 15-minute transit trip. That, that, I'm, yeah, glad you brought that up because I was going to say Ward 8, too, is such a great place to do that. It's very diverse. I yeah. mean, you got that whole Beltline area, which is huge and key to all of that life. And then, you know, the surrounding communities. Um, I mean, knowing that, there's going to be a lot of competing noise and people trying to, to get your ear and say different things. How do you sort of, you know, manage all of that um, and still represent, you know, what you're hearing from your community even though you might not be, you know, pleasing everybody or getting everything across? It from, it's a great question. <laughs> Very political. It's a great question. <laughs> Thank you. It's really just a pause for me to think. Yeah. But uh, no, it's, I don't think a lot of people really understand what equity is. Mm. I think too many, we've spent 50 years talking about equality, 100 years talking about equality when that was, that's a, that's a band-aid. It's a, you know, when we have those conversations on equality, it's because we're trying to be treated the same and we still haven't achieved that, truth be told. Mm. We still haven't. We have so much more work to do for just generic equality. Right. But when you're looking at policymaking right now, the way to achieve equality is actually through equity. So if you're using equality to achieve equality, that doesn't make sense. Okay. You yeah. use equity to achieve, achieve equality, equality, right? So one of the things that I've gotten a really... It's just part of my work as an as an educator. It's part of my work as a community advocate is having a clear set of principles about who's actually in need right now mm-hmm. versus what's important to you. Because they're not the same. 
Because every person is going to believe that their particular issue is the most important. Yes. Because it, that's human. That's your mm-hmm. issue. It's the mm-hmm. one that's right in front of your face. So I have to do everything I can to make sure that we are actually having a discussion around who is actually in the most need versus who has an issue. Not all issues are the same. Right. So who is in the most need? Deal with that. And then we work our way down that list. Sometimes, you know, especially like in the time of COVID, mm-hmm. it's very easy to judge that saving lives is more important than putting a mask on. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so people talk, I don't want to wear a mask. It's like, that's, a, that's, that's sorry. Yeah. But some people, like, I'm a teacher. Children need to be protected. Right. So it's an equitable measure. And eventually we'll all end on that equality place. For sure. If we have that thought in mind. I mean, that's great to hear. And I'm glad, you know, you've clearly thought this through. Um, one of the things that, you know, got me thinking was the sort of collaborative nature and the very teamwork mentality of city council. And I'm, I'm glad you thought this through. But, you know, come seeing that all the city councillors and the majority new city councillors coming from different places, how do you, you know, envision that teamwork and that collaboration going if you can't see eye to eye or meet at the same level as sort of your colleagues in city council? Uh, there's two separate strategies I take. And one is the one is just as an educator who's worked with a variety of community members, some more compromising some less compromising is you actually start to you start to be able to figure out who's sitting in front of you right and it's very important to understand that throughout everybody's anger and everybody's aggression the feelings that are associated with it the perspectives that we hold comes an experience that informed it Mm. so by approaching every issue from the perspective of the person sitting across from you you might be able to actually find common ground. Mm -hmm. Now, that requires something, though. That requires two complementary parties, right? Like two people who are (laughs) willing to engage in that conversation. So in moments, which I think we've all seen in politics, where it doesn't matter what you say, the person sitting across from you is not going to listen to you. Of course. It's in that moment that you actually turn to what really matters to politicians, and that's voters. Mm. That's people. And we talk about engagement. We talk about citizens. And it's, you know... Educate them. And if you get people on your side, then all of a sudden the influence that you have over your colleagues, it's a lot easier to say, I understand that that's your perspective, Mm -hmm. but look at how many people want this. Look at all the evidence. Tell them no. Don't tell me no. Tell them no. And in doing that work, I think we'll be able to see a lot more done without having to concern (laughs) ourselves with what happens behind closed doors. Bring it into the light. That people dictate what is necessary in a city, especially from an equitable lens. For sure. That's great to hear. And yeah, and I know that it's uh, it's such a unique thing about city council is that collaboration and being a, working with the, that many people. So um, I'm happy to see that you've, you know, had some time to think about what that relationship might look like. Um, I Oh, my goodness. Time goes by really quickly on these interviews, but... I've really appreciated the chance to sit down with you, Courtney. Is there a message that you'd have for students post-secondary that are listening to this um, who are in Ward 8 and, you know, want to vote but don't really know if they feel empowered to be a part of that process? What would you say to them? I guess I don't care what ward you're in, but you should always vote for one very simple reason is that there are people out there who don't want you to. Mm. Uh, Politics gets a lot easier. That's interesting, yeah. (laughs) Politics gets so much easier when less voices to abide by yeah 
So if you really want to have your voice heard, it's a fundamental thing. You cast the ballot, you become a part of the process because someone somewhere will always try and take that from you. Yeah. So make sure you don't take it from yourself. Well, so. That's that's a great message. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. So I really like that. Um, and I hope the listeners have enjoyed um, listening to Courtney Walcott, Award 8 candidate in the upcoming municipal election. Thank you so much for joining me. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Again, if you missed it, I had Terry Wong on earlier. That was Courtney Walcott, Ward 8 candidate. You can find all the episodes on cgsw.com. Have a great day, everyone.